Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy Collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy push-up bra, in on-trend hues like green and citron and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archives Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hi, I'm Glennon Doyle, author of Untamed and host of the podcast, We Can Do Hard Things. On We Can Do Hard Things, my wife, Abby, my sister, Amanda, and I do the only thing we've found that has ever made life any easier. We drop the fake and we just talk really raw and honestly about all the hard parts of life. So come on over and join us and some of our friends and greatest heroes like former First Lady Michelle Obama, Tracy Ellis Ross, Gloria Steinem, Elizabeth Gilbert, Brandi Carlisle, Brene Brown, and our beloved community, the Pod Squad. You'll hear refreshingly honest conversations, trust me, about sex, gender, parenting, blended families, our bodies, anxiety, addiction, feeling overwhelmed, just all of it. Life is hard, so let's do it together. Meet us every Tuesday and Thursday for We Can Do Hard Things, one of Apple and Spotify's top shared podcasts of 2023. Listen to and follow We Can Do Hard Things, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and everywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome to The Laverne Cox Show, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. I had found happiness and self-worth, and I was not going to let the outside world take that away from me. Mm. I had fought hard for that to start loving myself. Mm. Welcome to the Laverne Cox Show. My name is Laverne Cox. This is part two of my epic conversation with the legendary Connie Fleming. If you happen to have missed the first part from a couple of days ago, do yourself a favor and listen to that one first. You'll want to catch all of it, honey. Show notes. Check them out. And just a quick reminder, the incomparable, inimitable Connie Fleming has been a legend and icon of the New York City nightlife scene since the 1980s. She has graced the catwalks of Vivian Westwood and Terry Mugler, among others. And she has set the tone at some of New York City's most exclusive nightclubs It's one of the most famously discerning door persons in nightlife history, darling. In fact, she still refers to herself as the door bitch. So, picking up where we left off, Connie and I are talking about one of the first times we ever crossed paths over 25 years ago. Please enjoy part two of my conversation with the legend, the icon, the one and only Connie Fleming. 
there was this one night at Hero. Hero is a party that um, Eric Conrad at the Maritime Hotel. Right. So one night I was at Hero. I was on the dance floor and I was dancing my little heart out to Honey was turning us out. And these two men, these two white men come up to me and they said, thank you so much for getting us in. And they slipped me some cash and they were like, thank you so much. And I, you know, wonder, I'm looking at the money. I'm like, they think I'm Connie. <laughs> and I used to get confused for you a lot. And yes. I, we look nothing alike. No, I get confused for you now. Every black girl in New York, basically, I was confused for. So they gave me this money. And then later on that night, you come in from the door. And I don't, you, I don't know if you remember this. I came up to you and I was like, girl here these guys thought i was you and they gave me money here and you were and you looked at me you were like girl you should have kept and i was like i kept half (laughs) (laughs) and i did times are hard i kept half the money hello hello. do you remember this story do you remember that i mean i remember i remember i remember and it's like you keep that money and i wanted to go and find them and push you in front of me <laughs> and say, and go and tell them to give you the rest of that cash or you won't let them in next week. That was one of those nights and those moments. I mean, you're a legendary door. You call yourself a door bitch. Legendary door person. Like, just infamous. Um, As a door person, I am unflinching and I demand respect because I remember before I first started, it was when I was still modeling and I was backstage and it was some sort of group show and the producers were backstage arguing because the door person showed up and they were like maybe in demi drag and the producer was backstage yelling, no fucking drag queens, no fucking drag queens at this door. I don't care. Wow. And that went into the back of my mind. Mm. Cut to a couple of years later when Eric was doing poop at the supper club. And he was like, I need a door person. I don't know what to do. He's like, you're going to do it. And I was like, okay. He's like, you know, everybody, we need somebody that knows the core crowd, the crowd from Europe. And for the next couple of years, I really had to fight as a black trans woman to be respected mm-hmm. in that field. Because it's like, you know, door people have come before me and after me, and they aren't sort of given the narrative of being mean as I am. And they demand as much respect as I do. They are as unflinching and even more unflinching than I am. But because I am in the skin and who I am, you know, that massage noir. And transphobia. Rears its head. Yeah. All it coming together. And it all comes together. And it's sort of like, why do I have to listen to you? Why do I have to be sort of human and nice to you? But I draw a line in the sand, and that has made me sort of this door Nazi. No club for you. (laughs) 
That was coined at Mr. Black. I feel like you've been doing doors forever, but I feel like when Mr. Black happened, that's when like the reputation went to this other level of like Connie being me. Mr. Black, it was a tiny space and you would turn around and it would be full. Mm -hmm. And we could not get to the level of disturbing the neighborhood or capacity rules. So I had to be super like, I said no, I meant no, don't ask me again. And that's when it went to the level of like, three people just left. Okay, we have to wait for 20 people to leave before I can start letting in again. Mm. The behind the scenes logistics of curating a room, which it's it's on, you know, a sword's edge. You can let in two people and they can destroy the room in seconds. Mm. When I think back to Limelight, I think you started doing VIP sections after mm-hmm. Ms. after Poop. That VIP section at Disco 2000, Baby Rue, uh, Ruby would dance in and Kenny. And so there was that club kid room and like the, everybody can get in there, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it needed yeah. to have a certain... A certain energy. Savoir faire. Yeah. To get in. And I think that's also my reputation of being at VIP doors and denying people that makes you come off as mean. But doing those sort of VIP rooms, you get to see in real time how it can shift and things can become awful. Some people don't know how to act. <laughs> within seconds. Yes. Yes. And you can have you can have as much money in the world or you can try and shove as much cash at me. But no, we have yeah. to be here next week. We have to deal with the task force. We have to deal with because, you know, mm-hmm. things also shifted after Michael Alec. That's a whole other situation. That's a whole God. other Michigas. I was in New York, and I just remember nightlife shifting so drastically. It was Giuliani mm-hmm. becoming mayor, and then the Michael Alec when he murdered Angel. And I knew mm-hmm. Angel. I'm sure you knew Angel. Yes. It's so funny. When I first moved to New York in 93, Angel was always at Webster Hall, makeup room in Queen. I had just moved to the city and people always asked me where the drugs were. I've never done a drug in my life, but I met Angel and I was like, he's, <laughs> Angel, <laughs> he, he's over there. He's over there. girl. He's got the wings on. That's him. People always ask me, I think because I was in, I was sort of gender nonconforming, what hadn't quite evolved into myself yet, but I had my look and I would send them to Angel and they would, you know, get get there we called it service back in the day in the in the 90s oh my god mm-hmm. oh, did you get Jesus. your services girl <laughs> yes 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 i remember it oh, well so it, there was a period in party monster is if you care to watch the documentary is better than the um, scripted film it looks at the um story of michael alec and and james st james and that whole period in new york nightlife where Angel was murdered, etc. And then he did, when Michael came out of prison, he did another documentary, um, what's it it's on Netflix. It's hard for me to watch. Because that, that's also what I wanted to mention, was that Nora Burns did a play, and she says in the play of that, like, 80s time, we are still in that sort of framework of 
PTSD. Yeah. It is. And you, you feel it. Yeah. But now we have a whole other set of traumas. Yeah. If you live in Texas or Florida. <laughs> yeah. And this is why I'm, doing, I'm in trauma resilience therapy, honey. I mean, I, the AIDS crisis, I wasn't in New York in the 80s, but the whole, the nightlife thing and the aftermath of what my, and I never, I met Michael maybe once or twice. I remember line mm-hmm. line, he was always just twirling, trashed and a mess. Like, yeah. girl, just, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I just remembered, like, he was a mess. Try getting paid from him at, like, five in the morning. Girl. <laughs> because you had to chase him around, corral him, and get him to the office to go, oh, yeah, she was working. Hours. And he's high as a kite. Yeah. And, like, been up for days. Yeah. And trying to shove a pill in your mouth. <laughs> <sighs> There were characters, and a lot of people didn't survive either. Yeah. Um, may they all rest in peace. But for those of us who did, and I was, I've always felt like I was on the periphery of all that. I was never fully in the club scene. Like I was in college, and I was doing, I had my waitressing job, and and I didn't, I didn't party, like I didn't do drugs, and so I was never like in the in person. I never felt like I was like in the clique. But what was beautiful about being creative and putting a look together in the 90s is that like you know Kenny Kenny another famous door person would always let me in you know when you had a look in the 90s you could go anywhere you could go anywhere and it was deep when that shifted when that shifted because I never had problems getting in to mm-hmm. clubs bottle service and bottle service shifted when bottle service took over everything that, that was when oh I can pay for my own fantasy yeah, I gagged. I really gagged. I was like, wait, hold on. I'm yeah. <laughs> it wasn't even like I was famous or I was just used to my energy being welcome. You were one of the kids. You you were one of the, one the, of the driving engines of the scene. And what made, at a certain point, value, deeply valued as, as yeah. a presence in nightlife and then was no longer deeply valued. Yeah. Interesting shift. Well, I work with Lady Fag at Battleham, and she does Spilt Milk and Holy Mountain, and she values the kids and a look and making that effort. And it's that little bastion that is sort of growing now and moving into Williamsburg and Queens and all like that. So it isn't gone. No, it'll, you can never kill it altogether. No. It, it's, no. Yeah. It's just the 90s clubs were so commercial. I mean, they were so huge. It couldn't last, but it was wonderful. Quite a ride. <laughs> wonderful. And we have our sort of world now because yeah. of it. The strides that we have made as a society, yeah. you know, their beginnings were there. Absolutely. Uh, those interactions of all of these people coming together and sort of widening and, oh, you are not an ogre. You are not going to cut me up and wear me yeah. like a suit. Yeah. I was at Jackie's 60 almost every week. I just, Johnny Dinell saying, Connie, Connie girl, the Connie girl, Johnny Dinell on the microphone. The Jackie 60 days were... So iconic. It was such an avant-garde kind of party. The shows that yeah. were happening there. I think you were the Sugar Plum Fairy one year on point, in Point Shoes. Yes, 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 in a yes. Show. 
The Jackie Christmas show. I mean, the shows that happened to Jackie 60. Oh, my God. I wish there was video from that. Magical. Magical. A magical space. This is on 14th Street in, like, Washington, like, in the Meatpacking District. And so I think some of the sex workers would come in, and then some of the trade. It was always trade to Jackie 60. (laughs) Always. 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 I remember there was this one boy. I I can't tell. I can't tell all these stories. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) but I remember there was this one boy. He was fine and Somehow I ended up, he and I ended up, you know. Okay. And I didn't know we had a girlfriend. Then he's telling me, as we're getting to know each other, my girlfriend's upstairs. So then he became a regular. And one night I came, because remember Johnny used to do party naked, like at the end of the night, girl, party naked. This man who months earlier was kind of shy and came with his girlfriend, he was on stage fully Naked. naked. Party naked. And probably high on something and it was just (laughs) girl Jackie 60 (laughs) Jackie 60 the invitations would always be like legends no no dress code but there would always be dress codes every week Uh uh-huh no runners no no track suits no this it was incredible and doing the door there we got to enforce it I remember one night It was a fetish night mm-hmm. and these business guys, you know, masters of the universe came and, oh, wanted to throw around their money and come in. And we're like, no. And they're like, why? And we pointed at the dress code and it was no suits. And we're like, well, how do we get in? Take it all off. You can go in in your underwear. And they did. <laughs> Folded up their suits, <laughs> left it at the door, and they they left after I left. Mm. We closed maybe around 4, 4.30. The door closed maybe around 3.30. They were still inside. Mm-hmm. I heard that one of them became a human, uh, a human mat. That was the wonderful thing about the 90s in New York, that everyone partied together. So yes. you would have... The businessmen would come and the Wall Street and Long Island and Staten Island and Jersey. They were all there and we were mingling. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't segregated. It was a full coming together of everyone. Yeah. Everyone needed to come together. Everyone needed to see and look each other in the eye and maybe get to tear down all of the the things that that we were taught all of the things that were in the news all of the you know there were so many times where people looked at each other and went oh i understand you and i understand mm-hmm. sort of your journey yeah do you still feel like that isn't that exists in new york somewhere <laughs> in some spots okay. like at at Levin. Levin, it's okay. everyone i love it we want everyone to respect each other. We say at the door, it's going to be this, this, that, and the other. If you don't like it, bounce. But it's hard. It's hard now because everybody wants to be in sort of their own little bubble. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not what nightclubs are. Nightclubs are for you to experience not only the music, but the atmosphere and the people. Yeah. 
I remember it feels like it started with Warhol to me. I think about historically in New York, Warhol introduced trans women and drag queens into parties, into his entourage. And it seems like he was like, we need to have this energy here. And it felt like that stayed Mm -hmm. through the 70s, 80s, 90s, into the early 2000s, and then things kind of started to splinter. But I feel like that's when, with Candy and Crisis, Mr. Warhol saw Crisis. Hollywood Lawn. Hollywood Lawn. And all of those girls. But before the 60s, there was also Madame Arthur's, which I'm obsessed with. Tell us about Madame Arthur's. I don't know Madame Arthur. Madame Arthur was Coxinelle. Bambi, April Ashley. This was in Paris. I know about Le Carousel. Tell me more. Yes, I think Madame Arthur's was first and then Carousel, which I'm obsessed with. Yes. Because Coxinelle and Bambi and April Ashley were the beginnings of that sort of frontier of transdom. The trans woman showgirl. Yes. I mean, uh, Coxinelle, I think, is even before Christine Jorgensen, if I recall correctly, yes. or, or yes. contemporaries. Because I think Jorgensen learned about the operation and everything like that from Coxinelle. Yes, Coxinelle and Bambi and oh, all that. What I think we forget in this time when we have the sort of comfort of the internet and being able to voice on social media. Back then, in my time, at the beginning of your time, in the 60s, 70s, 50s, there wasn't this. So there had to be a community where we as trans people could be safe and get employment because there were only two choices. Stage or the corner. Or if you could live stealth and go in and hide. But there was also a price to pay for that, too, because that that was also my apprehension when I first started in Paris, was if I tried to go stealth, there's so much that is known about me. It's going to come out. About my beginnings in Boy Bar and in the drag community. I can't deny, deny, deny. Yeah. And then it just becomes deeply painful. I interviewed Tracy Norman uh, last season for the podcast and and the repeated outings and losing everything and having to start over again. So intensely painful. And I think it's painful for her to this day, the idea of disclosure. Because it meant death. Yeah. It meant death because even Crisis, Crisis's parents wanted to commit her. And she would talk a little bit about Marsha P. Johnson and about how Marsha would be committed and they would give her Thorazine injections in her spine. Okay. And then she would come out of Bellevue or wherever they committed her and it would take months for her to come back to herself (sighs) because that, that was also a thing at that time. Like, you know, they would put you away and heavily medicate you into unexistence. It was treated as a mental illness, which is so disturbing yes. when, when we're referred to in that way now. It's not new. This is no. old stuff. It's deeply disturbing. 
This is a good time to take a little break. We'll be right back, though. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape Fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Hi, I'm Glennon Doyle, author of Untamed and host of the podcast, We Can Do Hard Things. On We Can Do Hard Things, my wife, Abby, my sister, Amanda, and I do the only thing we've found that has ever made life any easier. We drop the fake and we just talk really raw and honestly about all the hard parts of life. So come on over and join us and some of our friends and greatest heroes like former First Lady Michelle Obama, Tracy Ellis Ross, Gloria Steinem, Elizabeth Gilbert, Brandi Carlisle, Brene Brown, and our beloved community, the Pod Squad. You'll hear refreshingly honest conversations, trust me, about sex, gender, parenting, blended families, our bodies, anxiety, addiction, feeling overwhelmed, just all of it. Life is hard, so let's do it together. Meet us every Tuesday and Thursday for We Can Do Hard Things, one of Apple and Spotify's top shared podcasts of 2023. Listen to and follow We Can Do Hard Things, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and everywhere you get your podcasts. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad, is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor and meanwhile the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds lady whistledown's pen we're discussing it all and i sit down with nicola coughlin luke newton shonda rhimes and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season watch season three of the shondaland series on netflix may 16th then fall in love all over again by listening to bridgerton the official podcast on the iheart radio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts new episodes drop starting may 2nd all right we're back do you want to talk about meeting international crisis and her influence on you she gave you april ashley's book yeah international crisis we mentioned earlier icon she's in the movie queen at very young very young 16 when i discovered her i was at duane aka milan we used to Mm -hmm. be roommates with perfidia and i went over to visit duane one one day and perfidia was there and there was a huge photo of international crisis on the wall and i was like who is this and perfidia was like this is my mother 
It was such a beautiful, this is my mother, International Crisis, mm-hmm. and started just telling us stories. And I was just like, oh. I'm still in awe of, of this woman. Of her journey, because she defied explanation. She defied all of the sort of rules for us back then. Yeah, yeah. And the first time we met, it was at rehearsal at Boy Bar, and I was like, who is this white lady and what is she doing here? Who's this white woman? (laughs) Then Matthew said, okay, crisis, we're going to put in your tape and you can run through. And the white lady got up and did this incredible number. A seasoned performer, mistress of ceremonies, beautiful. Stunning. And... I like grabbed Glamour Moore and was like, who is that? And we're trying not to be rude and let her go through her number. And Glamour Moore is just whispering to me, Salvador Dali, album cover for the OJs or the Ohio players. And just these little tidbits. And I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And I think she was also a judge at the first Miss Boy Bar. So she managed to have some sort of mainstream success. So she was yes. a trans woman, showgirl, and people knew her. There's a, a documentary on YouTube, Split, that sort mm-hmm. of talks about her a little bit, but I feel like it doesn't fully give us the, uh, the, uh, the, the, under- the majesty. Yeah. Because when it was made, it was right after she passed, and I think that's maybe early 90s. So it was still that uh, narrative of... We're calling her a drag queen. Yeah. A poor, deluded, whatever it was. Mm. But there are little tidbits of her life and the beauty of her journey. And even the filmmaker, because it was reissued and we had like a talk after, after the viewing of the film. And the filmmaker is like, you know, even I cringe at the language because we did not have the language back then to fully color her in all her glory and all her facets. And this is the thing about like someone like her and like so many of our ancestors who there wasn't really even fully language, but we found a way to be ourselves in spite of it. We found a way out of no way, really. Uh, <laughs> there was no blueprint, really. I mean, there were, you know, the girls who had come before us. Yes. Just as you with me with Too Funky, that was me with Tracy Africa. Oh, my God. Obsessed. Because at the beginning, it's like in those days when you would be sitting at someone's knee and asking them questions, in that time... It would lead to somebody that was sick or dying or had already died in some kind Mm. of horrifying way. So you Mm. had to ask for a little tidbit you saw in their faces and in their demeanor that if you would go one more question, it would fall into despair. And we couldn't push each other in that way. We were pushing each other with culture because. Tomorrow wasn't promised. Yeah. So you had to give grace. 
you're alluding to it and it keeps coming up. So this is, you know, mid 80s when Boy Bar started, 1985. It is the height of whenever I talk to people who were in New York at that time, people were dropping dead all around them. And a dear friend of mine who's in his 60s and he watched an episode of Pose and he survived that period. And he, and he cried. He's like, I hadn't processed Mm-hmm. all the trauma of, of that time. And this was like just a few years ago, how the survival piece of like, am I next? How to survive this? And it's just, I'm so happy you're still here. I'm so happy that we get to tell your story and that you get to tell your story in this context and in others on your terms where we have language. I was, I'm talking to some queens. I was at a party in LA. It was Edward Infold's book party, actually. And um, mm-hmm. there were some queens from RuPaul's Drag Race. I was telling them about a night when I had a hero. It's like, oh, when Honey Dijon was DJing and Connie was door to door and they were like, what? What? They And they knew. And they're, these are 20-something Drag Race uh-huh. girls, white who knew, who understand, they wanted the stories and they want to know. And it's great that you're here to tell them. Um, oh, Connie. Uh, Vivian Westwood, um, Mugler and, and Westwood were two um, designers that you worked mm-hmm. with around that same time and both passed last year. I know. It's I devastating. was so devastated. My two champions were gone. Yeah. I remember reading about Mugler that in the 80s, because he was incorporating gay culture and leather, that a lot of people thought, even though the clothes sold really well and the women yeah. loved the clothes, a lot of people thought it was vulgar or too gay or too, you know, all that. And so it, it really is a beautiful testament that he made it to couture. And uplifted these kind of non-issues of fabric, fabric being considered and put into the world of fetishism and sex and naughty and dangerous. Mm -hmm. He showed it to you in a way that was so beautiful that you had to take it out of that. And we were all so happy that he was sort of taken into the couture world and seen his talent was seen for what it is, for his innovation, like Scaparelli has done, like Chanel did. Absolutely. Balenciaga did it. It was a wonderful moment. And I Mm. was honored to be there and be part of that moment in his life. Did you know Andre Leon Talley, by the way? Not well, but in that show. In which show? In Terry's first couture show. Mm. If you look at the video, you can hear someone screaming Connie, and it's Andre Leontali screaming my name. Mm. He is with Sandra Bernhardt. Oh, who also walked from Mugler yes. in a few charity shows. Yes. For years, I did not believe that it was him and that he knew me. There was an unedited version, and you can hear him screaming my name, and I was just like... <gasps> carries me. Andre was very in tune with what was happening downtown. He was in tune with... With all of it. Yeah. And was conduit for worlds to come together. Yes. I love him yelling your name because he was so overjoyed. Obviously, he couldn't contain himself. He was so overjoyed to see you at Paris Couture. It's just... To lose these icons. I mean, we lost Miyaki last year. It Last year was... Yes. 
major, I mean, what are your memories of working with, with Westwood? At the beginning, she would do shows at the limelight. And I remember the first one I got in, I was able to get in to see the mini crinolines. And I think it was Terry Toy's last season. And mm. I got to see Terry Toy on the runway. And I was just like, <gasps> because I was so overjoyed to see her. And we got to go to London. This was just before Vogue broke. And they brought us to London to like, you know, show this new Vogue dance, Voguing. And I think we met there. And I was just like, oh, I love you, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Cut to like maybe two years later. And I had just done New Glare. And she was doing a show again at the limelight and they called me and I walked into the fitting and she was like, Oh, it's so wonderful to see you. I'm so glad it was so beautiful to see you on the Mugler one way. I wanted this so much for you. And that came mm. out of her mouth and wow. I had to bite my tongue from not, you know, just breaking down into tears because she is. She is our community, but just in London. Yeah. That community of we are all creatives together and we have to push. It sounds like what's going on with you is that everyone saw it was just clear that you were a model. <laughs> like this girl should be modeling. And it usually is clear. It's usually like models are like, they're not like everybody else. It's, it's unicornish. In a way. Yeah. yeah. And that crisis saw it, that other people saw it, and then you, you got the opportunity. It's, it's really a miracle in a way, but it was also just meant to be. It was supposed to happen. Yeah. It was really supposed to happen. And so my understanding is that when you went to Paris, those first several seasons, it was cute, and then it got not so cute quickly. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? There's a lit. So when I worked at Lucky Chang's, Deandra had stories. Deandra would embellish, but she had a story about a famous supermodel who yes. allegedly walked in the dressing room and said, "Why are all these men in this fashion show?" We won't name this alleged supermodel. Okay. Um, is that true? Did that happen? It, it was embellished. <laughs> Okay. Backstage, I walk in, supermodel is getting her makeup done, and she turns to her makeup artist and said, don't make me look like a drag queen. And I mm. whispered to my makeup artist, it's a little too late for that, honey. <coughs> and that started the, because, you know, it was fine and dandy when I wasn't sort of known the core New York crowd knew of my history as a boy, mm -hmm. bar beauty, blah, blah. But anyone outside of that, they all thought I was like a new African girl. Mm -hmm. And they would always be like, you know, oh, stay over here. Don't go over there with them. Don't go over there, meaning don't go to Europe. Don't go to. Um, no, don't go and make yourself available to sort of the top girls. Because they kind of knew it would make me visible in a way. Because some people didn't know at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then it started to be known. Yeah. But it was only one of the supermodels that was 
not very happy with me. Mm-hmm. But the others touted me, wanted me to work with them. You know, that was half. And then the other half were like, oh, no, I don't want to. I don't want to be seen with them. They are lowering us as women, blah, blah, this, that, and the other. Because there's always been this narrative in modeling, too tall, too pretty, you know, that old joke, look for an Adam's apple. Mm -hmm. And you also have to think of the sort of misogynist narrative. In this field, women make more money than men, they have more power than men, they can sort of wield their power. And you have to pit them against each other, make them into monsters. It's like um, Beyonce is a witch. Too successful, too pretty. It can't be just talent. I mean, Tyra has talked very openly about how Mm -hmm. she was pit against Naomi. And they did that famous interview on the Tyra show when they sort of talked about it and sort of hashed it out. So that is... Certainly a real thing, especially with the black models. When you finally left Paris, did you ever have an agency? Yes. You did have an agent. So when you stopped going to Paris and modeling, what was going on? The pendulum of drag and fashion had swung the other way. Mm -hmm. And from me always insisting about my transness, I was labeled difficult. And... There were the things about, oh, I'm not going to do the show if a man is in the show. Once the pendulum swung, everyone was free to come out of the fever dream and to go back to business as usual. And major models were saying this. Yes. And there was a thing, too. I remember some models talked about back in the day that brands would feel like there would be a liability, like a legal liability, having a trans model, which doesn't make any sense to me. But that's what did you ever hear anything like that? Yes. Yes. When I would go for go sees here in New York. Well, we don't want our customers to think that we are trying to fool them. We don't want our customers to think that. They are somehow a reflection of who and what you are. We don't want to be seen as being divisive because back then it was being fetishized, being criminal, being unhealthy and mentally ill. How did that make you feel when you would get this feedback? You know, I'm an actress, and so I've I've heard all kinds of things. And it was like, I just kept pushing. and But it was also like, will this ever happen for me? Yeah. I had my childhood, my childhood of coming through the fire and just getting up, dusting yourself off and picking your chin up and walking ahead. Mm-hmm. Because I had come to a space where I had found happiness and self-worth, and I was not going to let the outside world take that away from me. Mm. I had fought hard for that, to start loving myself. 
be okay with who and what I am? And why am I going to let you take that away from me? Amen. And also, I was always in a place in the business where I got to see outside of myself and the inner workings. Mm -hmm. Because I was sort of not really paid attention to in certain ways and sort of forgotten. So I got to see certain things. I got to see trans girls who were stealth and being discovered and their careers being taken away from them. I had friendships from nightclubs with hairdressers and bookers and agencies. They sort of didn't have to maybe coddle me as much. And they told me the real lowdown of they're not going to book you because they're afraid of this, that, and the other. Wow. So I was thankful. And at the end, it was sort of outing me for anybody who did not know. Mm -hmm. The press would be like, oh, you like her? You think she looks cute in that red cowboy outfit or or like at the Vivian show and all like that? Oh, you like her? Because I remember it was that red cowboy outfit and there was this famous French boxer and they were interviewing him and asking him what he liked. And he's like, oh, that black girl in the red cowboy outfit. Oh, you thought she was pretty. Goading him, making him say how attractive and wonderful he thought I was. And then lowering the boom. Wow. And saying, oh, well, you know, that's a man. And then him having to espouse violence and if I'd ever see that and oh they should all be killed to pull himself up out of out of complimenting and liking what he saw. So it was those sort of things that you see the writing on the wall, like you know, Malamar Swan, you see the ice closing in around your ankles and I had to say, okay, I will step away before I am forced to. Yeah. Gotta take a teensy break here. We'll be right back. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Hi, I'm Glennon Doyle author of Untamed, and host of the podcast, We Can Do Hard Things. 
On We Can Do Hard Things, my wife, Abby, my sister, Amanda, and I do the only thing we've found that has ever made life any easier. We drop the fake and we just talk really raw and honestly about all the hard parts of life. So come on over and join us and some of our friends and greatest heroes like former First Lady Michelle Obama, Tracy Ellis Ross, Gloria Steinem, Elizabeth Gilbert, Brandi Carlisle, Brene Brown, and our beloved community, the Pod Squad. You'll hear refreshingly honest conversations, trust me, about sex, gender, parenting, blended families, our bodies, anxiety, addiction, feeling overwhelmed, just all of it. Life is hard, so let's do it together. Meet us every Tuesday and Thursday for We Can Do Hard Things, one of Apple and Spotify's top shared podcasts of 2023. Listen to and follow We Can Do Hard Things, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and everywhere you get your podcasts. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad, is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor and meanwhile the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds lady whistledown's pen we're discussing it all and i sit down with nicola coughlin luke newton shonda rhimes and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season watch season three of the shondaland series on netflix may 16th then fall in love all over again by listening to bridgerton the official podcast on the iHeartRadio. Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. We're back. You had illustration, you became a, a runway coach, you were always doing the door somewhere. So you've done so many things and continue to do so many things. For you now at this stage of your life, what is bringing you the most joy? Where can folks find you beyond Le Bain? And like, what are you, what are you working on now? What's going on in, in, in the world of Connie Girl Fleming? I am working on some art on another show. I had my first show, solo show at uh, Never Part the Wonderful Gallery in Montreal. Uh, Art has always been part expression and part therapy for me. And I started to draw and started to post them on my Instagram and on my Facebook. Mm -hmm. And people are like, wait a minute, you can draw? You can do this? And by the end of it, because I did it every day, Michael has said, you have a show. And I had my first show in Montreal last year. That show came here to the wonderful Lower East Side Girls Club, which I work with now. I want to teach them a little runway class so that they have stature and their confidence and their beauty comes through. Mm -hmm. And working at Laba and going to delve into writing a memoir and seeing how that goes. Just the stories you, that I didn't know that you've shared today are just so, so iconic. And if you name names, the book will sell. Never. Uh, <laughs> are you in love? Are you dating? What's the... What? Um, 
I am trying to, but I'm too old to take the mess. <laughs> I'm too old to, like, run through your field to get to mine, mow your lawn, tend your grass, and come to me. The grass is cute over here. Has there been a great love? Has there been, a, like, a, a you know, as you travel the world, a great love affair? The first was Joe Dietrich. He was an iconic model in the 80s, late 80s. Mm -hmm. And we fell in love. And I have to thank him every day. He treated me like a princess. I was never below him, second-class citizen. He never treated me in any way disrespectfully. He passed away from AIDS around I think it was maybe 93, and it crushed me. How did he identify? I think he would be pansexual. He oh, would yeah. identify as pansexual. The first, 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 first time I went to Paris was with him. Mm -hmm. That was my first love. And there have been loves here and there. Connie, I'm so... I'm really honored to speak with you. Just the legacy, the legacy that you have. Oh, I don't want to end this, but I end every podcast with the question that comes from my therapy. Mm -hmm. The question is, what else is true? And that basically when things are hard, when things are really difficult, we can focus our energy on those difficult things or there's something always else that's also true that can get us through. So for you today, Connie Fleming, what else is true? What else is true is laughter. Mm. Not taking yourself too seriously. My mom has taught me that. To not mm. take yourself too seriously and to allow yourself to step out, look at the situation, and have a chuckle about it. Yeah. Look at it and see the humor in it, see my humanity in it, see that I can somehow get through this. It's the lemonade. It's taking lemons and making lemonade. When you were yes. talking about Boy Bar earlier, it was like this creating your own reality. And it's not a delusional thing. It's a way to, it's a way to survive. Yes. This alternate space that we can exist in. And that, that was definitely what else is true. It was a place to connect. It was a place to meet fellow artists. It was a place to, you can do this, I can do that. Let us come together and make something beautiful. And yeah. a lot of that stuff we are living on now. Yeah, absolutely. And... It's beautiful that I get to live the life that I, I'm living now and that I get to celebrate you and the life that you are living and have lived and the, what you've paved for us. You were just living your life, but you've paved a way. I hope you know from me to you how much you mean to us, how much your life, your work means to us, to me personally. I see it in in you and your strides. You know, when I fell and was like bruised and bumped, it was for a reason. It was for you to be here. And 
I am so thankful, so overjoyed to see the girls now, you and Honey. And I mean, the language that you have brought in to the world is so important and so vital. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart. You have gone out and fought the good fight and made the world a better place in so many ways and so many avenues that we can now express ourselves. Thank you so much. And you are spreading your wings so wide that they are frightened. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. They are deathly frightened. They are so afraid of their world crumbling and they are not able to hide their sins Mm. behind us. Yeah. Yeah. We can't be the scapegoats anymore. No, it's you. It's not me. Exactly. This is all your stuff, and I will. I refuse to take it on. Octavia Saint Laurent said, "They hide us away. They hide me away because I get too many dicks hard." <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That story you were telling about the guy looking at you in the cowboy look—it's like, sorry, hon, but it's that's within you. Yes, you have to go and work that out for yourself, and you are not a bad person because of it. Thank you so much, Connie, for joining me today. Thank you. Connie Fleming. Ah, an icon, a legend for me and for many. And I hope that hearing a bit about her life, and there's so much more, that you understand that we've always been here as trans people and we have had to fight and deal with so much to be ourselves. And we have come through with so many of us with elegance and grace and with wisdom and beauty intact, souls intact, when we could be tattered and torn. 1990 New York, I got a taste of it, just a a teeny tiny taste of it. And it was a scary place. And I can't even imagine trying to find a way to transition and be yourself as a Black trans woman during that time. And that is the biggest inspiration, I think, even beyond all of her artistic achievements, that she could be broken and battered, but she is whole and actualized and at peace and stunningly beautiful. Trans is so beautiful. Connie is so beautiful. She is living history, and I'm so grateful that I got to spend this time with her. Thank you so much for listening to The Laverne Cox Show. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share with everyone you know. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Laverne Cox, and on Facebook at Laverne Cox For Real. And please check out the show notes. There are links to things that you must experience (laughs) that we've referenced in this podcast. Go crazy in the show notes. Until next time, stay in the love. The Laverne Cox Show is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Hi, I'm Glennon Doyle, author of Untamed and host of the podcast, We Can Do Hard Things. On We Can Do Hard Things, my wife, Abby, my sister, Amanda, and I do the only thing we've found that has ever made life any easier. We drop the fake and we just talk really raw and honestly about all the hard parts of life. So come on over and join us and some of our friends and greatest heroes like former First Lady Michelle Obama, Tracy Ellis Ross, Gloria Steinem, Elizabeth Gilbert, Brandi Carlisle, Brene Brown, and our beloved community, the Pod Squad. You'll hear refreshingly honest conversations, trust me, about sex, gender, parenting, blended families, our bodies, anxiety, addiction, feeling overwhelmed, just all of it. Life is hard, so let's do it together. Meet us every Tuesday and Thursday for We Can Do Hard Things, one of Apple and Spotify's top shared podcasts of 2023. Listen to and follow We Can Do Hard Things, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and everywhere you get your podcasts. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd.